Welcome to a very special bonus episode of The Fear of God, that wonderful podcast, um, one of my favorite podcasts, hopefully one of your favorite podcasts, that explores that uh, sparsely populated intersection of faith and fear, where we examine what scares us in the hopes of finding what saves us. Um, So with you right now is one of your hosts, Reed Lackey. And typically with me, as you always know, is Mr. Nathan Rouse. Now, I know we do that bit every single episode where one of us is supposedly missing, but this time around, yes, in fact, Nathan is not with me. I have a new friend with me today who I'm going to introduce right now, and uh, he is graciously joining us. He is uh, a filmmaker, a screenwriter, um, and somebody who I think uh, I'm very, very excited to have a conversation with and I think has a, a long and wonderful career ahead of him. It is uh, our, our new friend, Barack Barkhan. Barack, how are you? Good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the introduction. I didn't know it was a bonus episode, so now uh, I'm feeling even more pressure to uh, to do well. <laughs> no, um, no, no. That's okay. That's I, I okay. hope I can be a, a good substitute for for Nathan's uh, for Nathan in his absence. I tell you what, man, Nathan is uh, a wild card. Honestly, it'll be nice to have a conversation where somebody's not, you know, constantly cracking jokes about my size or, you know, something like that. You know, I'm just, I'm kidding, Nathan. I, Nathan, you know, I love you. Um, so, okay, so let, let's, bring, let's bring people up to speed um, about why you're here. You directed a film, wrote and directed a film um, that I saw, um, and we're, we're going to get into some questions specifically about it in just a minute, but um, I saw this film through, um, actually, I believe the history was you had reached out to one outlet um, for a possible review, and our benefactor, Tyler Smith, he's the one who helped us sort of get this show, Fear of God, underway, and um, he had sent it over to me. He said, hey, Reed, this looks like something that you might be interested in, and so I checked it out, watched the trailer, and I said, I Absolutely. I'm intrigued by the premise. I'm intrigued by the, the production stills that I'm seeing. I really want to, I'd, I'd like to check this out. So he reached out to you and said, Hey, would it be okay if Reed reviewed this for more than one lesson? And more than one lesson is technically the banner that we're kind of under. We're part of that broader community. And, um, right. and so I saw your film and this has happened very, very rarely. I watched your film as I as I sometimes am prone to do a little bit late in the evening. Started it uh, probably about ten o'clock my time, and when it finished, I sat there for a few minutes, and then I emailed Tyler, and I said, "Hey man, I need I need to talk to this director. Like I <laughs> I really want to to reach out because <laughs> I was I was very impressed with your film. We're gonna get into uh, some specifics very very shortly, but I was very impressed with it." It's the kind of thing I like to I like to say this. Uh, it's a bit self-centered, so so uh, uh, apologies if it comes off in the wrong way. But 
I, I like to say that sometimes there are films where that just speak my language. You know, it's not always about me, but I'm just like, no, this is this is the kind of thing I'm interested in. It's it's uh, crafted in such a way that I find very compelling and uh, is about the kinds of things that I like to have discussions about, and like to think about, and like to see my stories centered about. So, so I'm very, very excited to talk with you about it. Thank you again for being on the show with us. Um, our, our first, and then I'm going to let you talk. Uh, listeners know I just talk forever, especially when I'm excited. Um, my, I'm, I'm enjoying listening to you, honestly. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so uh, we ask every guest who joins, first two questions, kind of introductory. First question is just, uh, what, what got you into all this? Uh, tell us a little bit about what made you want to be a director and specifically like thriller, horror, intersections, anything like that. Right, right. Um, so I guess... What got me into filmmaking in general? I mean, I grew up, I, so I'll start, I'll start by saying that I grew up in Israel and, um, and that, which is where I am now mm -hmm. and, uh, mostly due to the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, uh, I grew up there and my family has always been a huge film TV loving family. Um, and, uh, from the age of, 10, I would um, either, uh, I was watching The Sopranos with my family. Oh. They didn't really care how old I was. I just remember getting kicked out of one episode that was this <laughs> extremely graphic, even for The Sopranos, Sure. Um, which I then went downstairs and watched it on my own, um, <laughs> of course. But anyway, I just grew up around that environment. And then in high school, actually, um, there was a film program uh, in Israel. It's different. Uh, you can kind of almost have, I wouldn't call it a major, but there's focuses that you get to have during your time at high school. And one of them happened to be film. And, and I just remember that that was an option. And I don't know. I mean, again, it was just kind of growing up watching so many films and, and TV shows. Um, and, and, uh, and I just said, you know, I, I really want to try this and, yeah. and it was kind of just love at first, you know, take, I guess. Sure. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah. So from the age of 15, I, I kind of got into it and it never stopped. And from there, um, I kept going, uh, and then in Israel, the military service is mandatory. So at 18, mm. I, I joined the military and kind of took a three year hiatus from filmmaking, sure. but being right. The entire time that I was in the military, I knew that I wanted to get out and, and study film, you know, at, at some kind of university and institution. Right. And I was lucky enough that during my uh, during my service, I was uh, accepted to NYU Film School. Awesome. Um, and basically, um, within a year out of uh, being, uh, you know, discharged from the military, I uh, ended up going to New York, uh, awesome. studying there, you know, and that's where it really became you know, my entire world, um, and, and has continued to be to this day, you know, whether it's in all these different capacities, this movie or any other projects I'm involved with. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that's very exciting. That's great. No, yeah. that's, that's fantastic. Um, so our and then horror, if you want, I can get into horror and, and, Oh, I would love it. Yes. And, and I mean, I'll, so I, it's funny. I, I'll say this. I mean, my, my film can definitely be categorized as that, but even mm -hmm. when I was making it, I wasn't seeing it solely as like Quite a horror thriller right, film. Right. It's definitely one of those, you know, I, I don't, I, I also hate this term when people use it like horror adjacent. Oh, um, right, 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 yeah, right. But, Understood. Yeah. 
Um, but I can understand that it's, you know, definitely using elements of the horror and thriller genre, but then also combining it with, you know, drama, melodrama, even uh, within the family dynamic. But um, I mean, so yeah, but honestly, in terms of how I got there and, and my history, I, as even as a film student almost, or especially in high school, mm-hmm. um, I was extremely afraid of horror films. I became, oh. but at the age of 10, um, I, one, at the age of 10, basically, I think it was a, the summer between fourth and fifth grade, uh, me and a few friends rented back when you went to Blockbuster. Uh, and, and in my neighborhood, <laughs> it was like an actual machine that you, you know, like, it wasn't even a store. It was just like this. It was almost like a, a stand where you could just press a button and a video would come out. Obviously, you had to pay some money for it. Oh, right, and right, right. Yeah. You, I don't know if those, where those exist. No, I don't ever, know if I've ever. But, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. But anyway, it's, yeah, it was a crazy thing. So that's how I consumed most of my movies as a kid. We went, we rented Halloween. The oh, original the original Halloween. one. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. We were like, let's watch a horror film. And, and I saw it and I, I think there was two weeks left for summer break and I didn't sleep. Actually <laughs> couldn't go to sleep for those two weeks. Terrified. And like, even during the day that the Mike Myers was haunting me <laughs> and, awesome. and it, I think for five or six, five to six years, it, it took me to kind of slowly ease back in to the oh, horror thriller wow. genre. And the more I started studying film and started even once I started making them, you, you kind of are able to watch things and, and analyze them. So when I would get scared in a movie, and I, I mm-hmm. still do this to this day, if I get even the hint of that feeling that I had when I was 10 years old, sure, I will immediately start looking at the film and dissecting, okay, where did they decide to put the camera? Mm-hmm. What was that day on set like? You know, I'm starting to like, you know, basically put a separation between me and, and what's happening on screen. So I'm right. not fully immersed in the world because I get so, so scared. And, and I love, now I'm lo- now I've learned to love that. Now sure, I'm, I'm, sure. I've officially, I'll watch a horror film right before I go to bed, where if you asked me uh. 15 years ago, I did never, never. <laughs> I was definitely the, the kid in high school when then when, sorry for the story to go long. Where no, you're fine. You're fine if my friends were saying, let's go watch a movie and someone would say, let's watch a scary movie. And I, and then I would say like, no, I heard about that movie. It's, it's garbage. You know, <laughs> right. we should watch this comedy instead. You know? <laughs> so, so I would, because, and I was at that point becoming the film expert amongst my friends. So oh, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure. Oh, that's but, awesome. Yeah. I think for me, it was that, but silence of the lambs and, and I started Ooh, watching yes. more classic horror films. Like, got me completely back hooked back onto the oh, genre now. No, and now could, I, I have such a huge appreciation for it in terms of just like it's yeah. purely el- you know it feels like you're watching what real cinema is when you're watching horror because it's just the heightened um mm. the heightened uh, elements of, of filmmaking are in every single moment you know in order to create that illusion right. where you're watching something in your on a TV or in the movie theater, and yeah. you know you're getting as scared as I was um, absolutely at that time. So absolutely, you know. I think it was actually Hitchcock. Uh, this quote is bouncing around in my head, and I can't remember if it was if it was Hitchcock, and and even if it was him, I'm I'm gonna terribly paraphrase it, but that like um, that fear 
as an element is one of the most cinematic of kind of aims that you can have to try to tell a story to to elicit fear is a very sort of cinematic concept um and uh it, it's interesting so a couple of things real quick first of all you mentioned uh halloween being so early for you purely right. by coincidence when this episode airs it will be following our regular episode on david gordon green's recent sequel uh that right. where where we unpacked all of that so uh and halloween is one of my the original is one of my very favorite films. It's in my top 10 in general, and I usually cite it as my favorite sort of like standard scary movie. Because like you said, right. there's that term that gets thrown around, or, uh, and, and that was actually a big impetus for us. When we launched the show, we said we were an intersection of Christianity and the horror genre, which is still in many ways true, but we evolved and pivoted that, that language a little bit to sort of move it more to, and in later episodes, we started saying, examining what scares us and what saves us because there were so many things that we wanted to talk about that to your point might have been you know is this really horror is this really you know is this more of a thriller or exactly where right. does this kind of fall in and it it widened the net for us to be able to say like well in general we try to explore what scares us because that could mean so many different things to so many different people uh depending on you know their station or anything like that um and so then maybe that's an appropriate segue to my my next introductory question which is and you can be as existential and thought-provoking with this or as silly as you want to but uh right. but barack what scares you i mean I think I, I have a tendency to go uh, very existential and uh, and just say death. Um, mm. I am I am, but death. You know, I think to some degree we're all afraid of it. Sure, um, of course, of course. but I, I definitely feel like, as far as it goes for me in my day to day life, I'm kind of shocked how how death definitely consumes my thought process way more than I want it to. I understand. Um, yeah, it, I, I do feel, and you know, when this pandemic came out, oh, it was almost, Lord. for me, it was more like I knew it, you know, I, I said, like, <laughs> right. I, my whole I told y'all. Yeah. I've been thinking about, you know, what something like this, when, when something like this could, will happen and how right. it will unfold. And, yeah. um, and like an invisible virus, um, you know, mm. that, that the world isn't, you know, wasn't prepared for kind of, um, and again, it's tragic in, in, in every way. And, and I'm not trying to belittle it, but, but for me, no, when it course. happened and I, and I started seeing, you know, you, there was kind of like a general cultural speak of, of anxiety being heightened because yeah, of, you right. know, this fear of this invisible thing. And I was like, well, this is kind of what I've been dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis well <sighs> into this. So right. I'm just, for me, nothing has changed. Like yeah. there's always been a pandemic in my mind. So, <laughs> right. um, yeah. and that's not even to say that I'm a germaphobe because I'm not, but I'm just, mm -hmm. you know, again, I'm occupied with the, with the thought that life will end and, and there's still mm -hmm. nothing that I can do to stop that. Yeah. Um, right. And it, and it I'll try and be a little optimistic about that and not to get too heady, but you know, sure. I think it's, uh, it's more of a tribute to how much I actually do love life, even though there's so much, there's so much yeah. suffering. There's so much pain. There's so much horror. There's so many horrible things. And some of those things I tried to capture in my storytelling. And, sure. And yeah. So those things I love watching, you know, I love escaping into the horrible things, but mm -hmm. the most horrible thing to me is just not existing. 
Right, right. Oh man, well you and and you've you've captured so much of it so well. There was a a, a frequent friend of the show. Uh, he's an independent actor, a very prolific independent actor named Bill Oberst Jr., uh, a, a good personal friend of mine, and he's been on the show a few times. I had spoken with him at one point, and I asked him, I said, why is it that in general, people who are, and this is, of course, not a unilateral rule, but in general, people who are very sort of um, either fond of the horror genre or particularly creatives who uh, their palette is the horror genre, they tend to be quite compassionate they tend again it's not a unilateral rule but they tend by and large to be compassionate uh on the kinder end of the spectrum those kinds of things and uh and bill's speculation was he said it's because we deal so much with death it's because you know when when you tell those kinds of stories or you're fascinated by those kinds of stories it does tend to engender you with with you know love for your fellow man and and kindness and compassion because you you dance with this mortality in a very serious way particularly if you're trying to as a creative if you're trying to tell realistic and compelling stories you have to handle those things in a serious way i think a lot of times people who are not in the thick of it uh might view it as uh as as trivializing the subject of death. I've never really quite seen it that way. I think that it's, I, I love the way you put it. I'll not be able to cite it verbatim, but listeners can go back three minutes ago to when you were talking, uh, how you put it about like just diving into that kind of thing as a way it's, it's cathartic to a way it, it, it helps us, uh, or at least helps me. And sounds like it helps you too, to be able to sort of like, I'm going to, I'm going to have a dance with this so that then I can go out and face scary global pandemic world. And, and th I think they've even done some psychological studies that it said the people in general who seem by and large to be coping with these sort of crises on a more mature and responsible level tend to be horror fans. <laughs> and it's like, like, I love the way you put it. It's like, there's always been a pandemic in my head. It's just waiting in the wings <laughs> just to come right. in and see it, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, I, I, I could go on a thousand rabbit trails, but I want to I talk about your film. So um, the film, which I don't think I've cited yet, um, is called Silence and Darkness. The, uh, the and is an ampersand. I don't know if that'll hurt or help your search uh, functions, but Silence and Darkness. Yeah, likely hurt it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and the and is an ampersand. Now, I will say, and I don't think I prepped you for this. I'm curious about this. Maybe we'll get into it in a minute. Um, okay. But I, I saw some early... Um, poster work where the, the film i think was originally titled touched touched and yeah. so yeah as we get into the specifics I, i'm i'm curious about some of the pivot around there because i love i do love the title silence and darkness right and and having seen the film which listeners uh in case you're wondering why i'm spending you know uh, probably an hour talking with this director i really think you should see this film so that it is explicitly stated i really think you need to seek out this film um, I think particularly for our listeners whose tastes can by and large tend to lean a little bit more thoughtful and tend to lean uh, into things that you want, uh, perhaps to be challenged a little bit. I think it's, it's a really, really rewarding film, and we'll get into some specifics about why. But just right out the gate, I think you should definitely check out Silence and Darkness. Um, so maybe in the process of this next question, uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about how the project kind of came to be its inception and everything and maybe touch on why it was at least at some point called touched and then pivoted right. over to a different title. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'll just start by, yes. Yeah, so like you said, the, 
the title of the film is Sounds and Darkness. And, you know, just to give people kind of the logline synopsis, it's, it's, a, it's a thriller about two sisters. One is blind, the other is deaf, and they live in a secluded house uh, out in the country with their father. Um, and the question that drives the plot is, where's mom? But it's very, and that's your general setup, but I always say, but it's very much about the family and how they live the way they live and why they live the way they live. Right. Right. Um, and so getting into the former title touched, um, because one sister is, uh, blind. The character, uh, is Anna played by, uh, Minna Walker. And then, uh, her sister Beth is deaf. Um, and that's played by Joan Glacken. Uh, the idea is that they've been this way for a very long time. They're uh, young women uh, in their late teens, early 20s in the film. And so they communicate by a language which basically they created growing up. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's all based off touch because of their respective um, disabilities. Right. So um, that's kind of you know, just the general uh, idea of like why one of the reasons why that was titled then. And the other one is also with the father, if you take the more esoteric meanings of touch, being touched by madness, right, uh, but I don't like right. getting too much into his character because, sure. you know, the father is the uh, just, you know, again, we can talk like we said as much as we want about the film, mm -hmm. but he is a domineering, uh, the domineering uh, figure in their lives and, um, and his essentially state of mind uh, is uh, the way they live is almost the the embodiment of his mental uh, state, right? Mental and right. Emotional states. So um, I, I, yeah. I, I apologize. I get so excited. You're gonna have to f forgive me or be gracious with me if I cut off a, a, a trait. Just tell me. No, no, no. Read. I'm not done. Um, so, <laughs> um, but uh, I, so I want to touch on t uh, two things that you just that you just brought up. First of all, I I I do understand. Again, I love the talent, silence and darkness touched is is really fascinating to me because i think that's one of the things that stood out to me i think i had dropped you a quick note that um there there is a mystery in the narrative that is interesting compelling and kind of drives the it propels the plot forward right. but what stood out to me so much and connected with me so much was the the aspects of relationship and communication that these two sisters are forced by their circumstances to engage with because of the different sensory experiences through which they intake the world. Uh, one of them wide open visually, but all sound is cut off from them. And then the other one, of course, uh, can hear everything, but isn't able to see or experience it all. And I, I found just, at, first of all, just as a premise, I found that incredibly fascinating because, yes. and, and some, some of my some of my favorite moments were the moments when Anna and Beth are communicating with each other. I love the fluidity of their rhythm, how they're they, you know, uh, you and I, if we if we are um, arrested by a thought, we can interrupt each other with any number of, of sort of, oh, yes, or oh, no, wait, or, you know, something like that. But they're dependent upon being able to to maintain contact with their hands, um, with the proximity of their bodies, and so right. so talk to me a little bit about 
the process of, of, of both from a story perspective, but also what the actors, I, I, uh, I'm going to butcher yeah. Beth's name, but it's, it's Minna Walker Joan. and yeah. Uh, yeah, Minna and Joan. Minna yeah. and Joan. So, so what was the process of making that so authentic and fluid? Cause it really felt that way to me. I never doubted their relationship or their, their vocabulary to each other for a single second. So what was the process there? Well, first of all, thank you. And I'll thank you on their behalf because it really is, you know, uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that it was, you know, my doing. It's definitely them, their connection with each other um, and and their chemistry that they had that I'm so happy that you, um, you know, enjoyed as well, because that's honestly making the movie. Yeah, that's what I was getting excited to watch. And obviously Jordan Lage, uh, who plays the father is incredible. Yes. Um, we'll get to him and, for sure. And gives an amazing performance, but I watching them, you know, interact with each other on screen. And for those of you that hopefully end up watching the film, you'll see that, you know, there are a lot of long takes. I was always engaged. Like I was watching this mm-hmm. happening uh, on set and, and not cutting or doing extra takes purely for the fact that I was enjoying seeing them communicate. Yes. Maybe that's not the best directing in the world, but I'll admit, you know, it was my first feature film. Uh, so I <laughs> hey, was indulging in maybe yeah, a few extra takes here and there, because again, it was just so fun to see them. Um, but going back. So like you said, you know, the premise that's, and, and it's definitely, you know, one of these store, one of these ideas that just kind of, pops into your head out of almost nowhere sometimes right, and, right. and you and you're just um and that's when i, I kind of started believing uh, david lynch when he talks about how ideas they're in the ether and you just have to grab them and you have to right. kind of get in the right state of mind and and you know i i come from a background of, of writing more personal stories and not to say that this film isn't personal to me on so many levels um and we can get into that in terms of just what the beauty is of essentially delving into genre and, able, and the ability to kind of tell right. your personal tale, but through um, within the constructs of a genre and within the subsets of what all those limitations to put air quotes on that, because it's not really the right word uh, come with. But yeah, anyway, yeah. So the idea came uh, very much from this um, notion of um, I, I had the first scene kind of in my head and it wasn't, and it wasn't even both sisters yet. So the first scene uh, is basically the two sisters are watching TV in the living room and then they have a conversation in their specific mm. language. Um, and, but that's just kind of a very, um, you know, boiled down version of it. But uh, basically, first of all, I had the idea of, you know, this woman, this young girl who's blind yeah. watching, you know, Bob Dylan on TV. Mm. Um, listening I love to Bob, Bob Dylan. Dylan. Yeah. Uh, me too. I mean, if you watch the film, I think it's you see the. I was gonna make. I was gonna make. I I don't want to break your train of thought, but I was gonna. One of the things was gonna be like, oh man, my my man put it's all right, ma, like as a central as a centerpiece for the for the film, and so I just yeah, I love. I don't want to break your train of thought, but yeah, I was very excited. It's all good. Darkness at the break of noon. Mm. Silver spoon. Oh my goodness! It's great. Delve into that seven minute. (laughs) Um. But anyway, yeah, so it, it was very much, so it was kind of this young woman, she's blind, she's listening to TV, and she's sitting in this living room, 
Um, and then I just started asking, well, who else is in the house? Mm-hmm. And then this, you know, her sister came in to, I was like, okay, well, well this sister, who's the sister? Oh, this, uh, this is who she is. And then, and then once the father again, um, kind of emerged, uh, and when I emerged as in, it was just me. I remember writing very long text chains to, um, uh, a good friend of mine who, you know, she, she's a, a sound, amazing sound designer and editor and mm, worked mm. on all my short films. Um, and I was just texting her this character's backstory and I was just texting her the opening scene and I was texting her the, uh, talent show scene, um, mm. which if you see the, you know, if you watch the film, the talent show scene can almost feel a little disconnected from the plot. And, and, sure. you know, and again, now we can start delving into like how we even made this film and all that. And right. Yeah. You know, I took a lot of big creative swings with this movie because yeah. this movie basically was made, um, as indie as it gets. Yeah. Uh, I think I emailed you, uh, this was a five person crew. Um, we were all living in the house that we were shooting in. Um, and you know, there's plenty of filmmakers that are doing this and this isn't special, but, and that's kind of what was in, you know, I, I basically set out and wrote this film with every, pretty much every cast member and every crew member that I had at my disposal in mind. And then also every location and every prop. Um, this was very much a, um, uh, a reverse engineered story. So just to go into kind of like where, you know, it, cause I think it both informs the story, but then informs also the production itself. They, they very much inform each other in this yeah. case. Uh, I, I, I had recently graduated from film school um, and I started working uh, professionally as a producer doing commercial work. Um, and, and, but as soon as I got out of film school, I felt like I had the tools of how to make, and both from also working um, in, in different production companies, because I have right, to give these right. guys, these people credit who definitely showed me how to make something really good and look really good uh, yeah. for not a lot of money or for even zero money. And so it was a combination of everything I learned in film school. And again, when I say learn in film school, this is something that you do not need to go to film school to learn. You just need mm-hmm. the space to go make your mistakes in filmmaking Mm-hmm. And understand that, you know, again, when you're making a short film, uh, an independent production, um, every dollar that you uh, spend should, in my mind, be going in front of the camera. And that's not to say yes. starve your crew, treat your crew as of good course. as they deserve and everybody should be able to happen to go to set. Right. But, right. you know, you learn how to just put as much resources as possible um, in front of the camera mm-hmm. and then also you build a story around what's available to you. Right, so right. that house and that town and these, you know, actors were all available to me because they were friends. Mm-hmm. So when I sat down to write the script, when I sat down to think of the idea, I had limited myself to these locations and that, sure. you know, helps immensely. Cause when you're, yeah. you know, when you have no limitations, I think that's the most crippling. Um, I agree. I agree. So yeah, yeah, it's very much, it's very much one of those stories of, you know, and again, 
to be even more cliche, I sat and read Rebel Without a Crew, you know. With, oh, sure. Uh, Robert Rodriguez. Uh, Robert Rodriguez's yeah. book. And I was like, well, this guy did it in 1992, 91, <laughs> uh, uh, you right. know, shooting on film. I'm like, and, and also watching a lot of um, mumblecore filmmakers, right? And, you know, right, uh, right. Who, who were more of my, um, you know, just more recent filmmakers who are making these right. digital uh, features and shooting them on uh, DSLRs and just going right. out there and making movies with their friends. And those films always tended to be a little more, you know, again, the, the, the more personal storytelling, but yeah, I just thought, okay, I think I can, even though Mariachi, that's a genre film, right? Right. Right. Of course. Um, right. Right. So, so it's just like, it's been done. And so I, I think I, I should just try, you know, Yes, oh. was basically it. Not only should I just try, but I was, I kind of was in this feeling of, well, if not now, then it might not ever happen. And, right. And, right. and again, to talk about the existential fear of death, you know, <laughs> I graduated. And, and again, because I went to the military, I, only, I was a freshman at 22, almost 23. So when mm. I was getting out, I wasn't mm. a 21, 22 year old who felt like his whole life was ahead. I was like, right. well, I'm approaching 30 and I just got out of school. So I need to do something now. And, yeah, and I right. think I can go and just make this thing for no money. Yeah, and yeah. In the, if nothing happens with it, that's fine. You know, hopefully the world will, you know, will come and, and everything will and open. Everybody will, will see it. Right, up, right. Mm -hmm. And everyone will see yeah. it. And you want all the praise and, and you have all these hopes in the back of your head. But I mean, at the end of the day, I, I keep talking about this, especially now I'm with i'm developing a, a mini series here in israel um oh wow you know great you, you just kind of realize that anything that gets made is a miracle absolutely on oh, any level 100 percent. yes 100 percent. and i i've become very forgiving of you know um things that are, that come out that people will say are terrible and oh, you know, I'm just, yeah. I, and again i think some things are terrible um, but I think if we're looking at independent films, yeah. you know, those, they're all in my mind, miracles, and they're all these genuine attempts, um, at people just trying to express themselves and trying to put their ideas, right. uh, you know, together and, and present them to the world. And, you know, yeah, I know my film won't resonate with many people, but, um, but, you know, I, I just felt like I had to do it. Yeah. Um, and then going back to the idea and the premise and everything, sorry to sure. be on a long tangent. No, here, no, but, no, you're fine. Um, you're fine. Um, I mean, I had a whole other script written beforehand that we were even doing test shoots for. Oh, wow. Uh, I had an actor who uh, she's incredibly talented and we all knew me and my <laughs> producers. We all knew she's going to be a star and she did mm. become a star. Uh, uh, I won't mention her by name because sure. I just feel like it's unnecessary, but you know, she's a star of a Netflix series and, and, and mm, she's going to be mm. the star of many more uh, TV shows and films to come. Sure. Uh, but sure. she had agreed to do that other film that I had written, which was a much more personal story. It was a very, mm. you know, just a, a, a coming of age relationship story. Uh, um, yeah. And, mm. and I wrote that and, and we put that together and I just, I stopped it because, you know, I just, said to myself, as great as everyone could be in this thing, um, I, I know that it's the kind of movie that I've seen before. Oh, um, right. I can think of five films that I've seen in the past two weeks that, you know, are similar to this. 
and I and I just had this feeling of even if it was the greatest thing in the world, people will forget. And I know this is a contradiction, but people will forget about it. You know, mm. the day after they watched it, or even by right, if they watched right. it at lunch, they'd forget about it if I didn't. And with this film. <laughs> As niche as it might be, I just thought, you know, I want to take a big swing. I just kept thinking back to the yeah. films that really sat with me. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, if I could take this big creative swing and make this like very wild premise work and make this idea of, of these young women talking to each other through physical contact. And again, let's right. tell the audience, there's no subtitles. You do not know what they're saying. Right. And, and yes. to me, that was also the huge pull into this story because I, because I just, as a filmmaker, as a director, as a storyteller, as I was sitting writing the script, all I was thinking of, oh my God, I just want to create this disturbing feeling for the, for the viewer where mm-hmm. they're not going to know what these people are saying to each other until oh, they see the action that precedes it. And if we start from a place of normalcy, if we start from this, you know, as normal as, as this bizarre world can be, and then go really extreme with it sure then sure now we've got this tension that hopefully um you're able to kind of suck get sucked into and keep asking why why right. why why right. and and you talked about you know kind of how the narrative unfolds and and it is one of these films uh and one of the references i always give in terms of narrative is like dog tooth right i don't know if people right Yogos Yogos is, yeah like right, greek film it was kind of the film that sent him you know skyrocketing into sure everyone's sure. Uh, uh view uh where it's just this family and it takes an hour into the movie for them to tell you why they can't leave the house right right like, Very it's, bold about, choice. It's, it's a dinner scene an hour into the film and out it's almost two hour film and, and you're watching an hour just going why why are like they like this? Why are the parents doing this? I right. have no idea, but it is so bizarre and it is so intriguing, and I can't mm-hmm. stop watching. And I and I just love that feeling. And I watch that film, and I watch you know every Kubrick film uh, yeah, that right. you watch when you're a teenager. Those films, I just remember being a month after watching them, and they just would never leave my head. You know, they were still right. in my head like fresh, right. like I had seen them yesterday. And I just said, that's what I want to try and do. You know, if, yeah. if I'm going to take. If I have, if I'm going to make my own film with my own money, you know, and there mm-hmm. was a moment where I was trying to raise money and, you know, talking to producers and everything, but me and my producing partner, Pablo Byrne, um, who was my rock throughout this whole process, we, we had two columns on our Excel sheets. And one was, you know, I think it was called a, a real budget. And the other was called a cheap ass budget. <laughs> basically... <laughs> You know, if we don't get any money, this we're still making this movie, and this right, is the budget right. where we can make it on. You know, and we're right. not making you know any real compromises here. It's just you know, sure, it's be on a smaller sure. scale. You know, yeah. we're not going to have oh, uh, man. A, a best grip. You know, we're not going to have a, a best boy, uh, a best electric running right. around. You know, everyone's going to pick up stands and right, sandbags right. and do the thing. Which, by the way, I recommend. I can't mm, to mm. any filmmaker out there, not that I have that much experience, but from my experience, if you're going to make a movie, uh, especially an independent film, uh, getting rid of the professionalism of filmmaking is so liberating. I bet. Um, I bet. Yeah. yeah. It's so liberating just on, on a creative sense of getting that kind of family feel. And I do think that it's something that takes 
practice and experience sure. where for a director sure. to walk onto a set and able to turn off that noise and know that there's, you know, 200 people around you, but you have to just focus on the scene that you're doing and the actors, and, right. you know, uh, but I think that that could be extremely overwhelming. And again, I yeah. said 200, but even 30, that's a lot of people right. to all right. of a sudden be handling on a daily, daily basis. And, right. and there was something really amazing about, you know, telling an intimate story in an intimate settings. Yeah. Uh, and, and it, and it also in terms of production sped things along. I mean, I was sure. so scared we weren't going to make our days because we were a five person crew and our producers right. were like, Oh, right. we're going to have so much time because we're going to move so fast. Cause there's, you know, there's none of the hierarchy of set. Uh, right. It's like, there's no, you, you, you're unencumbered from the politics of what you are allowed to say or not allowed to say. Everybody's right. kind of there unified behind the vision. And, and, uh, no, I think, I, I think that's a beautiful thing. I um, I want to pick up on just a couple of things that you said. So, first of all, uh, huge applause and congratulations to you on the choice to not have subtitles. I thought I thought that was brilliant, and I and I mean that. I'm not. Yes, I'm talking to the director. Yes, I'm. You know, prone to compliment. I thought that was a brilliant decision because. I found the visualization of watching their communication, a communication that I was not invited to. I'm able to see it, but I'm not able, I'm not invited into what they're saying and how they're saying it. And so I, I depend upon sort of seeing, as you said, like what they do after they've spoken to each other. And what was really fascinating and why I thought it was such a brilliant choice is it would be very easy, I would imagine, for a storyteller to say, yeah, you don't get to see this piece of it. And if you don't understand what's going on, then that's your problem. But what I love about what you did is it was never lost on me where we were, where they were, what was on their mind, and what they were trying to do. One, there is a scene that I will, that I, I, I'm trying to avoid spoilers because I just want to compel people to see it, but there is a scene that I found to be one of the most creative and, and I think smart. Uh, borderline brilliant, if not full bore brilliant scenes that I'd seen in a story like this. There's a moment where the pair of them, one of them, very specifically Anna, has picked up on something, and I don't want to unravel too much of the mystery. She's picked up on something that depends upon, like she's, she's put together, okay, I heard a sound X amount distant away, right? And I, and I need Beth to help me recreate that and the way that they interacted with each other in order to recreate the sound that she heard so far away, again, all done without subtitles, you just see the pair of them connecting and, and what they're doing. Man, it was, it was exciting, bro. It was exciting to see, to, see a creative, to see a creative moment like that because I was like, this is, this is really fascinating. Like I'm watching them try to solve this mystery. I'm watching them try to, try to put these puzzle pieces together. And again... Uh, uh, I think uh, a lesser intention might have just ignored the audience and said it doesn't matter if the audience understands or not. You very clearly didn't approach the story that way. You approached it to the degree of a, 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 tr a tremendous deliberate intention. One thing I'll say about um, Mumblecore in general, because I, because I, 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 again, I love the intimacy of it, and what I love so much about the fact that Mumblecore exists is exactly what you described. It unlocks the door to say, if you have the means, put together the crew, craft your story, and go make your film. For me personally, most Mumblecore films feel 
by and large, a bit too meandering for my tastes. Many of them feel like they just sort of want to create a window into an intimacy of life and aren't as deliberate as your film is. And, and your film felt very intentional. I didn't feel a wasted moment. Everyth everything about it progressed forward either the nuance and complexity of their relationship or took us incrementally ever so closer to the the sort of central plot mystery and 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 the little uh we we have a, a saying i forget where my co-host nathan uh found it but it's something about like uh people who don't put the cookies on the bottom shelf like you put the cookies on the top shelf but they're reachable you can you can still get to them and still enjoy them and uh and so while i was just so captivated by the intimacy of the production which by the way that vermont landscape good lord how how beautiful it all is! Yeah, Mad, Mad River Valley, Central Vermont. I uh, oh, I recommend good. it if anybody uh, can. When travel is more safe, hopefully, uh, sure, I definitely sure. recommend people going up there. Uh, whether it's you know in the fall or in the yeah in the, even in, even in the spring and mud season, which is when we shot, uh, sure, is beautiful. Sure. Uh, it never fails. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's just one of those you know New England and and again part of it is is my personal awe with that landscape and then also my cinematographer omar uh nasser who um you know he's egyptian and also mm -hmm. uh uh british and uh oh, wow yeah and and so we're both you know from these different parts of the world and have sure. had no real connection to this landscape and and i think for us it was just like oh my god uh this place is amazing this yeah. it was just so inspiring for us to just film it you know and, and right. there are definitely shots of just landscape to kind of give you these little breaks gorgeous. Um, and and that's just us being in awe always of um just you know again and I, i've been lucky enough to travel around the country for work uh, around the u.s for work and 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 again I, i'm always um just and i'm always just in awe of of the beauty of and the and the variety of landscapes that the u.s has in, in right in, and it's also the preservation of nature. I mean, we can get, sure. I don't want to get too deep and distracted into that, but it is just no, something that's okay. that as someone who didn't grow up in the U S yeah, um, right. is, is always fun to see and experience. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. I, I want to say we've, we've maybe got probably about 15 to 20 more minutes here. Um, and then uh, I could, this is, un this is unfortunate. I hope you will forgive me if I reach out to you again and want conversations again, because this is exciting. And I, 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 I really no, uh, glad to do it. I really love it. The, um, so I want, I want to say a bit uh, just sort of at, to make another little pitch about seeing the film. And then before we wrap the episode, we will more explicitly state where, where listeners can find you and where they can find the film yeah. and, 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 and more directly give that. But I, I do want to spend um, a breath or two talking about the the other major player the other component in this um it is it is undeniable and i could probably spend two and a half hours talking about where my imagination went in watching anna and beth interact with each other watching their dynamic play out but one of the things despite the mysteries that the film unveils for us what is very apparent early on in the film is that their environment is at least being guided, possibly, and it's revealed by the end of the film, possibly controlled. We, we will, you know, we will see, but it is at least yeah, being guided. Yeah, and I think it's, it's obvious that it's controlled early on in the film. You know, sure, there's that sure. scene with the, with the 
father who always is also a doctor and mm-hmm. uh and he kind of you know kind of speaks into this tape recorder and she's almost you know kind of recording his notes on their right lives. so right so there is obviously an element of control and and we reveal that early on in the film so yeah don't, like i said okay. don't worry too much about spoiling this film okay all right yeah you got it you got it I, it's like i just want to be respectful of i had such a one of my favorite things about the experience was i saw the like minute and a half two minute trailer and i was like this is interesting like uh a blind sister and a deaf sister and and something's going on and this is fascinating and then i watched the film and 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 just honestly and the and the film is relatively brief it's about about a little shy of 80 minutes and i feel like for every single moment i was just enraptured some of it's the some of it's the beautiful cinematography a lot of it is the dynamics of anna and beth and those performers and their relationship which is consistently fascinating even when at a certain point in the narrative one of them is temporarily taken out of play then to watch the the sort of listlessness that then the other sister has to try to find out well how do i navigate this when i don't have my my counterpart here to help me and and that's one of the things Listeners of this show know, like, you know, we, we get into, hey, we love films and this is why we love films. But then what really excites our imagination are the, the, you know, the stories and the themes underneath the story. And I think one of this, one of the things this speaks so much to me about is the, the necessity of coherent and vibrant relationship and communication and being able to, uh, to maintain that and, and, getting back to the element of control, the ways that those elements of control will sometimes try to inhibit that communication will sometimes right. feel threatened by the fluidity. Like again, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to step a little bit more into what would be a specific spoiler. There's a specific component to the, to the sister's relationship where one of the sisters is trying to learn how to do a thing, learn how to do a talent. And right. there's a talent show in town and they have somewhere at some point agreed Hey, I'm going to I'm going to teach you and we're going to do this thing together. And it is so obvious from the way you've you've crafted the scene that that growth, that movement forward is so counterproductive to the element of control and is right. so sort of uh like oh I I can't let this happen that some gut-wrenching extremes come into play to try to <laughs> that's when the horror comes in that's yeah 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 um uh you know to be less obtuse uh listeners like the 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 father who's controlling the situation makes a decision that deliberately restricts the communicative abilities of these two sisters because right. from what i gathered from the scene because he feels so threatened by their continued relational growth and their continued personal growth. And, um, and I found that it, it, it is terrifying, but I also found that fascinating. And I will not spoil this next part, but where you ultimately decided to land the film made so much of that arc compelling to me because that was really, you know, like the, the restrictions that began to be imposed upon it uh, ultimately, the, the one of the many beautiful things about the film is the necessity to continue to fight for that that communal connected relationship and right. and to to overcome the the restrictions and the inhibitions. Sorry, I'm just I'm just blathering. No, on and, about and, and I love that. First of all, I think 
I appreciate everything you're saying. And again, I'm not going to take full credit here. Like I said, this is a huge part with the actors, them sitting. I mean, it was just in terms of how that was crafted. A lot of sure. it was, you know, we sat down scene by scene and then we said what they're actually saying to each other. And then we, and again, and I say we, and it's a loose we, because essentially they took it and ran with it. Jo- gotcha. Joan and right. Anna just took it and ran with it and started figuring out this language on their own without me. I just needed yeah. to know kind of what the basic line of dialogue was. And then right. even if I had a change of dialogue, I'd be like, well, you're going to say this. And then they'd be like, okay, what would they would go and figure out what that would be in the language, sure. um, which sure. is just like, again, amazing in terms of the, the chemistry that they brought to it and their connection to, to one another uh, as human beings and as actors in that, in those roles. Yeah. But I think just in terms of the general uh, idea of communication and, and, and the control you're, you're touching on a lot of the, the, the themes of the movie that I don't like right. to talk about too much, but sure. no, I understand. But what I will say is this, I think what, and it's been important for me to also mention is, you know, we're talking about, like we said, we're talking about a person who is blind and a person who is deaf. And, and mm-hmm. again, those, there's a wide spectrum of, of blindness and deafness and, and, right. and, and, right. and, and it was a big learning experience for us to just really delve in, into um, into making these things as authentic as authentic as possible. Right. But you know, I'm the first to admit I, I was ignorant, and mm. you know, um, I, and to this day I still struggled a lot with kind of you know was it right, was it not right to make this movie. Again, oh. we shot this a while back. Right, and, right. You know, we're waking up culturally sure. in terms of representation, in terms of everything. And like I said, this movie was made on a very, very low budget. Right. Um, of course. And, you know, so to this day, I'm, I'm still a little conflicted. But, and I'll, and I'll make this statement. Should a, um, should a, should a scene actor... Uh, not be able to play a blind person? Should a hearing actor not be able to play a deaf person? In my personal opinion, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I think the answer is, um, is yes. I mean, they should be able to play those roles. Now, with that being said, I understand that there is a great need for representation on all yeah, spectrums right, of, right, of, uh, of people with disabilities on camera. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to this film, and you've seen this film, and we're talking, again, right. your listeners right. likely haven't seen this film. What I think, and again, this speaks to what you were talking about in terms of how we're building out the tension and the communication and everything, mm. is we, it was very important for me, for everyone on set, for the actors, especially when we were developing the characters and the story, and when the, the story was crafted. And again, this, and I'll, I'll toot my own horn here a little bit. This was in draft one of the script. There was never a moment where we were using their disabilities, these, uh, their, their disabilities as a way to create tension with the audience. There right. is not a single moment in the film that you, the audience member, who are most likely a seeing a full-sighted, able-bodied person, right. know right. more than these characters do. Right. There's not a moment, right. for example, that, you know, the, there's a killer behind our blind person, uh, our blind character, and right. she can't see him, but we can. Right? There's right. these noise. There are noises happening, and our deaf character can't hear them, and thus she's in danger. We were not doing any of that. Right. You, are, you right. are completely, you know. And again, this is a whole other 
theme of the film of just this idea of being locked into um, your own perspective. And I love this idea of, you know, these characters who essentially have these disabilities uh, and you should feel as the viewer that you should, you should know more than them, you know, just yeah. from that point of place of being a able-bodied uh, person, but you don't, you know, right. And right. you don't get more than they do. Mm-hmm. You're, you're in the dark just as much as they are. No yeah. pun intended. Um, right. Um, so no, of course. Um, and in some ways, uh, apologies for interrupting you, but, but in some ways they actually, um, sometimes they know more than we do. As the audience, right. they are they are tapped in more to what's going on, and we are simply along the ride catching up to them, which I do find impressive. Right. So, so again, on a on a personal level, and and again, and on a storytelling level, this has all been kind of like the the push and pull that I've had with this project over over the years as it's been kind of coming out. As now it's fully out, but again, editing was a long process. This is what happens sure. when you make things on a shoestring budget. Is you know you're working to pay for your film, so you. It's not like I got off set and five days later there was an assembly. It w- there was right. an editor, right. a close friend who was working on this on his off hours from his full time job. Sure, um, of course. So yeah. you know, it was it was a big learning process of just in terms of um, uh, dealing both in terms of the of of how we're representing these characters. And again, the last thing I'll say about that is, uh, despite you know all these efforts to be authentic and to be respectful. Um, what I also say is this, you know, and again, if you watch the film, I think it's very hard to disagree that these two characters don't represent the blind or deaf communities. Right. Um, Absolutely. Because right. within, if you watch the film, you understand kind of how they grew up and you can, I think fairly easily assume that they did not go uh, to she did not go to uh, school uh, and learn Braille. Right. Uh, she did not. You know, they weren't. They, they weren't active within that community, and and it is a community, right. and it is ha- they have their own culture. There's a, there's a, there's an actual culture. Uh, right. Uh, around around these people with uh, with uh, different disabilities, um, and we weren't trying to capture that because these characters weren't. You know, they they weren't brought up that way. They were brought right. up by. Right one person and again you see that in the film so right essentially it's all funneled through him right um, well and and that's part of what i think is so by making that decision which i agree is very obvious in the film um i think it it it's it's fascinating because then it allows the restrictions that they are dealing with sensory to be more metaphorical and to and to speak more broadly to beyond just you know uh, uh, to put it perhaps a somewhat clumsy way you're not trying to make a statement about blindness or deafness this is you know it, it it's an avenue an inroad to be able to say something more profound and what i love about it is it never once in the film feels like a gimmick it's 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 vital and crucial to what the story is interested in and what these characters are experiencing um, and I think to pivot in, you know, uh, other directions would have been to to lessen what you're trying to achieve with the film. And I, I love that you've articulated and unpacked that, that, yes, this is I think people who would be dismissive for X, Y, Z reasons, I think are not take. This is my opinion. 
I think they wouldn't be taking the film on its own terms. I think they would be layering on things to it that the film was not trying to to even concern itself with. And it, I think it's richer. And, and again, I am open to any and all criticism. Of and course, I fully accept it. And I, and I fully accept it on, upon myself as the writer and director of this film. And again, because it was such a low-budget film, then, then um, I'm not going to sit here and point fingers at anyone else but myself and and again so i i welcome it and, I, and that's what i'm just you know all i'm saying is i'm i'm putting this thing out of the world um i'm sure it's flawed in a million different ways um and and uh, i hope people go and see it and feel free to to tell me about the flaws because i i want to learn and i want to be better <laughs> um but you know at the end of the day i, I also hope that you know people uh, are able to come open-minded and, uh, right, right. and, you know, be able to, uh, just enjoy what we're trying to, uh, just enjoy the experience that hopefully, uh, we set up for you. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I tell you, um, I think that's probably, I think that's probably a good place to pivot. Uh, Barack, I, I, I feel like I could talk to you for several hours about your film. I, um, uh, listeners. I'd be happy to talk about anything else, but the film, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, 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 let's talk about everything else. Um, yeah. But uh, I do want to um, I do want to make just one more like profound pitch uh, to people. This is this is a unique film. It's a it's a different kind of experience. I will say, uh, you know, it uh, it does ask patience of the listener and I think it rewards that patience uh, of the viewer. Um, and I think it rewards that patience in spades. Um, so, so no going into it. Uh, what I'm going to ask you in just a second is where listeners can very explicitly find the film. I know some of the outlets, but probably don't know all of them and where they can specifically find you either on social media platforms or, or whatever way, what the best way to, to be able to get in touch with you. Cause I know like myself, I was lucky and I do consider it luck. I was lucky that when Tyler had pivoted it over to me, I knew automatically I was like, there's the, there's the director's email address. I was like, I want to make sure that I have permission to email him, but then I'm going to, then I'm going to email the director because I want to talk about this. And I know I had that impulse and I'm sure some of our listeners might have the impulse too of like, Oh man, I need to, I need to talk about this film. So, so where can they find it and where can they find you? Right. So we'll talk more about the film. Uh, the film, like I said, it's called sounds and darkness. Uh, you can get it on, all the major digital platforms. So it's available on iTunes. Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's available on Google Play. I believe it's also available on Hulu. And then in terms of the territories, I don't know how globally, uh, how, how global your listeners are, but it's available in the US, in the UK, um, and, in, uh, and in Canada. Uh, I was going to say, we have a huge Canada listenership, so that's good. Yes, so it is available in Canada, and it's also available on uh, some video-on-demand platforms, um, which I will tell you right now. Feel free to edit as I search. Um, (laughs) No problem. (laughs) No, it's available on DirecTV, Dish Network, uh, Vubiquity, and Deluxe Canada. So. If you're watching it on digital, though, Amazon is the uh, easiest, cheapest, uh, most affordable option, I believe. So feel free to rent it. Feel free to rate it. Uh, As far as finding me, honestly, check out Silence Darkness Movie on Instagram. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, again, this is a a small film. Uh, I am the person that will be reading your direct messages. (laughs) I personally do not have a big social media uh, existence. Uh, That's probably wise. Instagram. (laughs) 
not on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like to, you know, I, I like to be away from from social media. I, I think there are amazing things about it, but that's a topic for another sure, time. Sure. Uh, but yes, don't worry. Uh, don't worry about me. I, I really want you to watch the movie. Uh, that'll feed me. Uh, awesome. Awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, 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 that'll be great. Um, so uh, we only have maybe, you know, six, seven minutes here. Uh, then I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I want to, uh, to find out. So I'll, uh, so two things real quick. The first is I always like to ask when we have the privilege of speaking with a creative director is there anything about your film that you haven't had the chance to talk about yet? Or because you, because you mentioned it, mm. is there a subject that you have on your mind that you don't often get the opportunity to talk about that we can give you a few minutes to talk about right now? I would uh, just uh, an open-ended blank check to say whatever you want to say. Oh, man. Um, like I said, now, see, now you've given me too much, too much to choose from. <laughs> it's too, it's I crippling. Need limitations. <laughs> I need limitations. I understand. Um, I understand. No, I should, you know, I, I love getting shout outs to, to movies if possible or, or TV shows and, and, and uh, especially lesser known ones. Uh, the problem is, again, I've been, uh, I've been in Israel since March, uh, both due to work and due to the pandemic. Uh, so I've been catching up on so much of uh, the Israeli content uh, available um, here. Um, mm -hmm. But one show that um, a good friend of mine and uh, co-creator of this miniseries that we're developing uh, worked intensely on both as an editor and, uh, and um, well beyond different uh, jobs on set uh, is Valley of Tears. And that is available on HBO Max. Oh, uh, okay. It's a miniseries. Yeah. So it's a miniseries. It's, it was sold to HBO Max. I believe there it started airing mid-November. Okay. Um, incredible, incredible series. Uh, um, dealing with one of Israel's uh, biggest uh, tragedies—not uh, tragedies, I guess—it's it's it's most uh, jarring event. Uh, it's war in 1973, uh, where we, uh, Israel was caught off guard and uh, and and paid a huge price. And it's following wow. very much, you know, the the intimate stories of the soldiers in those first three days of uh, of war there. Um, so. I think I think that's definitely a good rec uh, recommendation for for those who are subscribed to HBO Max. And then, awesome. Um, yeah. I don't know. I've, I've, I mean, since this is a horror uh, podcast, I'm trying to think of uh, <laughs> any uh, recent horror films I've seen. Um, but there's now, a, and you know what? You put me on the spot. Yeah, there've been there's been such a feel no pressure because there's been such I a lot of I want to know what you've seen. I'd love a recommendation <laughs> from you. Well, I will say this. So. Um, so there was a film, and, and I'm certainly not the first person to talk about it, but there was a film that hit, I uh, believe, a Netflix original, uh, which, you know, who knows what that means anymore. But, it's, uh, but it right. was cl classified as a Netflix original. It's a film called His House. And, right. Uh, have you seen that, was that on film? on Sundance. It kind of flew under the radar. Yes, yes. Yeah, I um, haven't seen it yet. See, this is, again, the, the problem that I've had. So I miss movie theaters like crazy. Oh, and now gosh, that we've yeah. been, everything's been shut down and everything is shut down here in Israel as well. Sure. Uh, right. I haven't seen a movie in a theater, I think, in nearly a year. And, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. And the thing in the back of my head, I haven't been watching a lot of new films. I've been watching old films because I really just want to watch new movies in a movie theater. <laughs> Um, right. I lived in yeah. New York for eight years. I lived walking distance from a theater the entire oh. time I was there. Yeah, um, sure. I go to movies a lot, um, any yeah. time of the day, whenever I can. 
So sure. I just sure. really hope I get to go back to watch movies <laughs> in the theater. So, so like a movie like His House, I, I, I've, I don't know if it's even available yet. I think you're right. Like you said, it's out on Netflix, but I haven't seen it. Sure. Um, yeah. Because I, I just want to go to a theater and watch it. Uh, right. But yeah, that's about, uh, it's about two, uh, uh, two immigrants that come and then they're, yes. yeah, they put them in, in uh, an asylum, not, well, kind of it's temporary like a, housing as they're figuring out their right. visa and then it's basically haunted. Yes. And it's, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty amazing film, and it's and uh, it, it's kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum of your film. It's it's intimate, but it's bombastic. Your film right. is is very uh, subtle and 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 just beautifully understated. His house is Disturbing, more like, hopefully. yeah, yes, absolutely, and 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 his house is more sort of like. Uh, sort of in your face, trying to make you jump, trying to make you afraid to walk down your hall, that, yeah. that kind of thing. Well, I would love to talk more about, see, this is, I wish we had more time, but this is kind of where I always look at horror films in general on the spectrum of, is the evil in the movie supernatural or is the evil in the movie, you know, a real life existence? Oh. And then when you talked about what I'm scared about, yes, I'm scared about death. And, and you know, I don't, not to be, I if anyone tells me they saw a ghost, I will believe them 100%. And, and mm, I'm sure mm. that they exist. And I honestly hope that they exist. Yeah, um, yeah. But I personally am a lot more scared of the everyday people that we see in our lives mm, and, and, yeah. and the evil that they're that evil, you know, the, the yeah. horrible things that people are able to commit. I don't like even using the term evil, like, you know, just but I understand. The I understand. Act. So that's, yes. that's where I get. So it's always interesting just in terms of watching a horror film. I know people loved Hereditary and I thought that was an amazing film. But when sure. I watch that film, I, I always get a little disappointed where I'm just thinking to myself, well, the, the thing that's, you know, haunting them mm -hmm. is something that I can't see or necessarily explain. And this is my ration, you know, my right. rational brain that has a problem. Whereas, you know, we take his follow up uh, Midsommar, which, you know, I know is less straight up horror, but I watch that movie and I'm way more afraid because I just think, I yeah. could definitely find myself in Scandinavia in one of those places <laughs> and I'm right. going to get murdered. <laughs> I'm going to wind up in the tent in the bear suit. Man. I'm going to wind up in a, in, in a bear suit in a tent. See, that to <laughs> me is way more real and scary uh, <laughs> sure. than uh, being haunted by some uh, hereditary uh, family curse. Uh, no, I'm with you. I love, I love uh, Ari Aster and, and, and can't wait to see his next movie. No, I'm uh, right there with you. Uh, and, and listeners will hear this after the fact. Uh, actually, uh, Midsommar, we do a top 10 like favorite horror films. And yep. we recently, as part of our recent series, we uh, did a redux on some because we've been we've been around as a show since 2016. And so as you do at the end of each year, you're like, hey, listeners, what were your favorite 10 horror films right. or things? No, right? I know you guys did that with Misery when uh, yeah. I went back. Yeah, and, yeah, listen, yeah. And, and that was around that time. So I That's was, right. I was like, yeah. oh, these are great. I need to remember these 10 <laughs> films that you're mentioning. You, it was between the 30 and 40 range, which is a great range to, to yeah. listen to. Cause it's, yeah. There's like amazing gems in there. And then, you know, there's some that you're just like, well, I've never even heard of this movie. Like, right. I got to go check that out. That's right. right. Well, we recently did a re when we did it the first pass for 2018, Midsommar landed in third place on listeners top 10, but it was interesting because when we redid it and we had them vote on 2018 again, Midsommar topped the list. And we found that fascinating that it had actually risen in people's esteem oh. 
from uh from like oh as this as like being one of their favorite horror films of 2018 and it, it really is it's a masterful work um, amazing oh my god and and so and oh so god. what you're doing you're you're fueling my you're fueling my second question which is uh i would love so so partially whether you like it or not though we we deeply believe in mutual consent here is uh you're part of the family now so so Broken we're just consent, yes. <laughs> so you're so you're just in on it we would love uh maybe to have you back uh, uh not only just uh, if you're having a project or something, but just to talk film with us, just to, you love know, it. find, yeah, find a film that way more than promoting my movie. I would love <laughs> to just sit and listen and mostly listen and I'll <laughs> chime in every once in a while. Um, if you guys need, you sure, know, sure. You just need a third wheel. No, um, we would love it. We would love to have you back. Wheel, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy. Happy would love, would love to come back. And, and, um, and again, you guys earned your, uh, earned, you know, you, you, uh, got a, a new fan and, and i'm officially subscribed to the podcast so oh god i thank think the you. last one to was 206 right uh yes 206 was um, released and that was the um, one the conjuring. on uh or uh, no 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 the uh conjuring was uh early in our days you've probably okay. got you probably got your subscribe yeah. yeah, you've got your subscribe button listed in chronological order, which is great. We mm -hmm. love that. Um, our most recent episode as of this recording was a conversation about uh, Alien Covenant. Our most oh, recent our most recent episode as of when this episode will drop was the Halloween conversation. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but but there's plenty of opportunities. We love just sort of embracing the full fog fam. So, uh, so yeah, thank you. I just, I feel really privileged to be able to talk with you about your film listeners. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. Please go seek out silence and darkness. Uh, I was very impressed by it, uh, such that I wrangled down and said, I have to have a conversation with this director about it. So, um, it's, it's a bit under the radar. I really want to champion it and have you go check it out. Uh, Barack, thank you so much for your graciousness you. of spending time with me. Really appreciate it. Um, and listeners, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you all. We'll see you next week for our Christmas episode. Yay! <laughs> I hope everybody has a very safe and happy Christmas. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Happy Christmas. Talk to you later. Bye.